Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Jonathan Smith is an actor, writer, producer who's been involved in the film industry for over 15 years. He started his career doing promos for Disney and Vogue as a teenager and continued to work on multiple sets like Hannah Montana, Greek, Numbers, Heart of Dixie, and The Mandalorian. At this time, he's currently producing and starring in a feature film called Broken City. It's already been picked up by a distributor and is scheduled to release this fall or early May. And Carol, I'm really looking forward to the conversation with you and Jonathan today. Thank you, Claire. So am I. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And uh, and sorry, it should it should read uh, fall, early winter. <laughs> so I know it's a, I, we heard early May, but apologies for that. Fall, early winter. This new film, Broken City. Um, Correct. And yes. was and that was made here in L.A. Correct. Yes, it was. <clears throat> and you were you're an actor in it, right? Yes, yes, um, one of the main stars in the film, so, yeah. Oh, how exciting. That's great, because I know you have a lot of talents, acting, director, writer. Uh, but let's get started with, I want to know, uh, what was it that let you know that you wanted to be in, a, in the film industry? At what age did you make that decision? Uh, it was an interesting uh, journey for me. I, I live in a small town called Barstow, so no connection to the real, to the film industry whatsoever. But we do. Um, we had a family friend whose daughter did uh, commercials, and they said, "Hey, you should look into this. Check it out. You have a, um, you know, uh, I was pretty young at the time. You have a good commercial-looking face." So I was like, oh, "I don't know if I want to do that. I'd rather play basketball, play sports." But I. Um, gave it a shot and then uh over time slowly got the the film bug and then i remember watching a um training day on a rental and um i knew that that's what i wanted to do uh when i saw uh, denzel washington's performance in that uh, that did it that, that sold you huh? <laughs> yeah that sold me that i want to give people a similar feeling Great, great. Well, um, now when you got, you started off with commercials. Is that how you went in and then you went over to acting? Well, I started off in, um, in, yeah, I would say commercials and then slowly into print and then slowly into um, TV and then other avenues. Right. And when did you decide you wanted to learn how to write scripts and start making your own films? So you learn as, and it all depends, everybody has a different journey in the film industry, but the film 
industry, the film bubble, everybody is telling you what roles they think you should do. And sometimes your your heart and your mind and your and your soul wants to do something uh, create, creatively different, or you feel like you're you're capable of doing different things that other people will tell you that you're not. And sometimes you're going to be the only one that gives you those opportunities to do that. So I had um, roles in my mind that I wanted to play, stories in my mind that I, I wanted to do, and I realized I don't think anybody's going to do these type of stories that I want to do for me. So I have to learn this craft in order to to have a chance to make those type of roles and those type of films happen. But then this is why a lot of uh, actors become uh, producers and writers because Mm -hmm. they have to, they create their own material. This is the way to do it. This is, as we both know Tom Malloy very well, and that's why mm-hmm. why he did it. He wrote a script, and then he realized, oh my gosh, I, now I have to produce it, and, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> and that's how you get in the industry. And speaking of that, in the producer class we're teaching, you did a marvelous job teaching filmmakers how to create a budget. Thank you very much for that, Jonathan, because that's where most creatives freeze is when you get into the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and and um, I learned the hard knocks way, and and um, eventually you get really good at, at budgeting once you figure out an idea of how things cost, and pretty soon you'll get to the point where you can look at a script and be like, oh, God, <laughs> that's going to be expensive. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, uh, so we're going to fast forward to today, so you're now writing uh, scripts, <clears throat> as well as um, you have just won a contest from Largo mm-hmm. to pitch your film at the AFM in 2023. That is quite an achievement. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. Well, let's start with uh, where did you get the idea for this film? This, and let's say that it has a million-dollar um, budget, and the uh, and then you can tell us about the idea and where it all started. Yeah, so Lost in the Summer Night is a script that I wrote um, two years ago that I've been um, developing for a very long time. It was something that um, even some people at Netflix were, were looking at before um, COVID fully took hold. Um, it's a story that that I know very well because when I first moved to Los Angeles, um, you know, a lot of people have this journey. You um, skimp and scrape and and you do whatever you can to make ends meet. So it's a story about a a young man who's in a college debt and is just working gig to gig, hoping to make ends meet and pay off debts. And then he meets a beautiful uh, married immigrant, um, from a wealthy man, and over time they plot together to worry, to murder the wealthy man in order to um, steal the insurance money and sort of left with their own. So I believe this script is going to connect with a lot of people who are in financial debt, they're working jobs that they don't like, that they're just scraping by, or they're doing multiple jobs just to make it by. And they're wondering how they're going to make it week to week, month to month. And I think the story is going to hit 
hard for a lot of people who think like, what would I do? What am I capable of doing in order to to have a better life? Right. Well, I'm a film buff for film noir, and this is um, two films. It's uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice with Linda. Uh, Lana Turner, oh, my God, John Garfield, Lana Turner, that was a great film. And then Double Indemnity with Barbara Stanwyck, wow, same same concept. And what, those were uh, 60, 50, 60 years ago, so it's about time. Great, Jonathan. Bring that back, because that used to be um, Raymond Chandler, one of his favorite uh, concepts. It's always, um, usually it's the woman back in the film noir genre that causes all this, but um, that sounds like a fun film, and I guess, that will you try to create that uh, dark and shadow looking uh, cinematography? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think um not only the dark cinematography, but I think L.A., just the city itself, will contribute a lot of that because we're seeing, um, I mean, you look downtown just even five years ago, you're starting to see street decay, um, stores and restaurants that were here just five or six years ago are no longer here. So I just think the city itself is going to contribute a lot of to that um, that darkness that you're talking about in the cinematography that you see in, like, double, double indemnity. So, yeah, exactly. I think yes. the city itself will be its own character. Well, <clears throat> and there are so many great locations. Did you choose many of those um, high point locations in L.A.? Uh, yes, locations that should be easily accessible. One way, and again, we're talking about budgeting, one way we're able to keep the budget to that million in range is because um, – I would say about 60%, maybe even 70% takes place in one location. So that that is able to lower the budget quite a bit because there's, um, there's less company moves. Uh, you only have to worry about reading one location. And then who knows if there's somebody can do the project who already has a loan, that one location, which would be like a nice, um, nice house, nice house on the hills. If somebody already has a location, you can already – um, take that off the budget, and now you're looking at a project that's maybe even less than a million. Maybe it's only five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand. So, having a one location um, film or a majority of your film taking place at one location helps out a lot when you're looking at your budget. Yes, it would, and that's how many how so many filmmakers rose to stardom started with a one location film or two location max. Uh, and uh, that's what uh, Weinstein always funded. He loved that. Mm-hmm. Good. That's all very good thinking. Now, tell us about, uh, you took your script and you put it through an AI program called Largo. Uh, tell us about that experience. Yeah. So um, where specifically do you want me to start my thoughts on Largo or how I found out about Largo? Where, where would you like me to start? Well, yeah, let's start with the first analysis when you uh, ran the chart. for You You put in your script, your budget, your proposed uh, actors. Uh, what else? 
Yeah, that, I mean, that, I was pretty much it, and budget and, and Largo ran with it. I was very impressed, um, the information I was able to give into, like, insights, emotional intensity, the web of characters, uh, and most importantly, what, what their expected financial returns are. And uh, I believe that's key, as well as um, some other casting choices that may be a great fit for the budget you have. So I, I was... I was impressed and still very impressed um, about Largo's capabilities. Yes. Uh, they took what you suggested, <clears throat> and then they also gave you more suggestions, right? <clears throat> correct, correct. I, I was pretty happy they didn't have too many suggestions on the script. Most of it was based on, you know, should it play in a theater, should it not, um, what casting decisions could be a great fit with the budget that we have. Um, um, and it confirmed some things, too, as well, uh, about the different uh, emotional beats that I wanted in the story. And some yeah. of them are a little nonconventional in the beginning, but it, it, it works out for the characters, and, larger, and the larger way I was able to see that over different positive emotions, negative emotions, and showing them through the different um, flow, depending on page number and screen time of where it should be. So Largo will tell you, oh, maybe you should have a more intense scene right here to keep the audience engaged and, and things of that nature. So I, I was very impressed. Good. As a writer and as a producer, it fulfilled both of those roles with suggestions, right? Correct, correct. And one thing that I think Largo could help with so many creators is that there's still a lot of, um, what's what I'm looking for, perception with with the upper management of what will make a good film and what will not make a great film. And sometimes they won't give a film a chance that they personally feel won't do well. And Largo helps at least have another um, third-party perspective on the data that they have what their audiences will connect to. And I think that's really important, and it gives the writers and producers a lot of um, power, especially if this can be proven right time and time again. So I'm very excited to be part of that journey and to hopefully um, strengthen other writers and producers who don't have any hard data or don't have any hard comps that this may be able to help get the project, um, the project going. Well, they have in their uh, database what is it, 50,000 TV scripts and 65,000 movies or some incredible large amount? It's an incredible number, yeah. I don't, I don't know the exact <laughs> amount. It is. It is. Well, this is wonderful. So they have, <clears throat> Largo has Pitching Fest, and there's only 20 people pitching in L.A., so congratulations because just getting that far is a great achievement. Thank you. And I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm prepping for it. <laughs> and uh, great. I can't wait. I think the whole thing is to be able to uh, pitch it, realizing that uh, body language is part of the pitch, 
the UCLA professor Merbayan says that 55% of your pitch, which is a presentation, is based on how you stand, right? So good posture. Do you look people in the eyes? Are you looking direct at your audience? Uh, are you comfortable in front of other people? Are you confident? Do you feel confident? Because I will pick that up immediately. Uh, and then the 38% is how you sound when you're really excited about a project. It comes through. Uh, and if you're not stumbling over your words. You're, you know what you're talking about when you really know it. It's in your DNA. That's the sales pitch. Then, believe it or not, Jonathan, only 7% of what you say is the decision-making part. The decision-making part comes through your body language and how you sound. Isn't that amazing? Yes, yes. And and uh, I'm aware of that as, as well in not only film but in um, sales because um, – I do um, uh, tech sales as well, or technology sales, and yeah, your communication, how confident you sound. If you're nervous, you're more likely to make the client nervous because they're going to assume you don't know what you're doing. So yes, body language and all that is very important. Exactly. And on the telephone, then it probably switches to much higher percentage. Uh, your voice is your most important sales pitch at that point, right? Not your body, but they can hear your confidence. Well, I think they said that television dramatically changed um, who gets elected as president. That if you just had a radio, people would vote on an entirely different set of people. No. How amazing, Jonathan. Really? That's incredible. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, all right. So that's the first step is to pitch it. And then uh, uh, tell me about Largo has a page where they put their top reports. What is it? Largo's uh, funding list or what do they yeah, call it? Yeah, I believe it's called the Largo Funding Database. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. And you'll be in that. Yes. Yes, um, I'll learn more about that after the pitching process is over. I'm still learning that as I talk to the representatives of Largo, but I think we're going to have a better idea of um, of the, the database as soon as um, the pitches are done. But I know at AFM, I already know that Neon's going to be there. They uh, produced Parasite or um, helped distribute yes. Parasite at least. Mm-hmm. Neon, oh, I love their... They make great choices, don't they? They do. So, I, I, I mean, I'm looking at um, just, you know, you, you don't want to think too far ahead, but I'm sure there's going to be distributors that I believe would be a great fit for um, this project, and I hope that they get to see the pitches live and then see how they interact with the database or if they have private conversations. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Yes, Right. Uh, and uh, you can have something with a QR code uh, on it to give to people afterwards. Um, Correct. This is yes, this is going to be a lot of fun. And then you will be able to put some of the Largo report in your deck to give to your uh, potential uh, investors. Correct. 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 So you can. Um 
transmitted to them digitally. You can um, have your email set up for a um, for your deck. the The challenge that you have, as far as a producer, and I learned this a, a little bit from Tom as well, is you still want to leave some to the imagination because the imagination is always more powerful than whatever visuals you will give a, another producer. Let them let them use their imagination on what they think the project should be. Because if you tell them too much, they're going to also think too little. So allow people to have their imagination grow the project more than you could financially do. Wow, that's great. Right. So Always use a little bit of imagination, yeah. What percentage of return did Largo give your project? It depends on the um, print advertising budget, but right now we're looking at, so if they just, if a stream network just dropped it on their platform, um, specialize their algorithm just to show it out to people, they're looking at a 20 times return. So we're looking at 20 million according to Largo. Wow, that's marvelous. That's great. And if they, uh, and then if you have to put uh, advertising in there, uh, I wonder if the uh, well, they buy it. And most streamers just buy it flat out. So uh, correct. And then they decide how to advertise it. But it all uh, matters. What really matters with the streamers is if you fit their. Uh, a database. In other words, they know what people are looking for, and true crime and crime are at the highest percent. So yeah. this, I, you know, I think this would go in that category, right? Even though it's Correct. premeditated, but I don't know if it happens or not. We <laughs> can't say, but it would go into the crime genre, genre at a million dollars for a budget for a. a uh, uh, film noir, I would think that would be a money maker. I do too, and and especially for the Generation Z millennial audience, there there really hasn't been a film that's more tailored to the experiences that they're going through. A lot of true crime you see right now is between adults or married couples. Um, very rarely, do, especially with the experiences that the that the youth are having, do you see a true crime connected to that? But they're watching a lot of true crime, and they're um, they're um, consuming a lot of true crime podcasts too as well. So the fact that we don't have a lot of stories that reach out to them is pretty surprising. So I think it's going to be another um, another great fit for the, for whoever picks it up. Right, yes, and it, uh, that is a long shelf life, too, because uh, what is the year uh, that you're of the film? Is it period? It's not period. It's it's modern. So even though I wrote it two years ago, it's actually more relevant today than it was two years ago. If you look at the financial markets, we're hearing um, potential recession on the way. People are getting laid off left and right. Um, I, have, yes. I have friends that are getting laid off from their jobs, so it's more relevant than it even was two years ago. AI is starting to um, – I know companies are getting more quiet about it, but I do know that secretly because I work in technology jobs that they're looking, they're studying ways to start doing replace people. So this is more relevant than I think it was even when I first wrote it. Yes, 
Right, and by the time you get it made and distributed, <clears throat> we'll be right in the middle of that yeah. recession type thing. Exactly. Well, um, now, at, so after um, NAB, then you will be <clears throat> looking to uh, start your funding to start raising money, right? Correct. Now, uh, nonprofits, uh, some of them, like from the heart, do not have a restriction. We don't have a restriction in our contract so that uh, independent filmmakers can work through us in the beginning to raise money from friends and family who would rather just give it to you than have an investment. We've helped a lot of feature films get made that way because they they raise maybe 50 to 100,000 through us which gives them mm-hmm. the money they need for their legal to casting directors etc and then they have a package to get out on the street and go raise the the rest of the money through their investors so um keep that in mind Jonathan you might want to raise some of it through the nonprofit yeah and i mean that's um that's something that we haven't talked about, but there, there, another interesting thing about Largo is, is that if um, your results come back pro- positive, you may be able, even if you don't get money through AFM or through the Largo portal, you do have a proof of concept that this is valuable on the market, and you could even send that to grants potentially as well uh, to to raise capital. So that's what I'm looking is is that we have a proof of concept now that Largo is showing that there's an audience for this, so there's other ways to get funding now, even if it's not direct. Wow, that's great. That's great. Exactly. So, uh, well, tell us about um, the short, the, no, I'm sorry, the film, feature film you did for under $10,000. Can you just give us some ideas about that? Because that is wonderful news that you're going to have this all documented so you can share it with other filmmakers. Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to talk about more of the experience of it? or Where did you get the idea and how in Sam Hill did you make a film for under 10000 That's quite an achievement. Yeah, tell us so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about first how I came up with the idea and then I'll, I'll go over um, some of the mechanisms for, for putting it in place. So uh, I don't know if people follow this, but there were a lot of um, uh, break-ins, especially during mid-COVID, slowly after COVID. And I think we're going to start to see them pick up again, but there were a lot of break-ins in, the, in wealthy homeowners, a lot of celebrities that were giving their houses broken into and um, robbed at gunpoint and their jewelry stolen. So I said, wow, that's that's a story that I don't see out there that a lot of people are telling. And I wrote a script on that. And 90% of it takes place in one location. And it's a story about a young woman um, who robs the houses of wealthy homeowners in order to save her mother's home for foreclosure. So turning that story into uh, into a story where it's, relatable was difficult, but I believe it's going to catch a lot of people's interest because it's a story about 
what is the morality of people in a city that's broken? What what is your morality in when the environment completely changes and you have to um, do what you can to survive? So that that's the that that's the concept of the story. And then as far as the budget, uh, we talked about earlier one location and getting the the one location film is important for budgeting. The majority of the takes place in one location. I um, I worked with a great group of people where we were able to um, use their home and they had a lot of the camera equipment and gear. We were able to negotiate um, costs and, and, and salaries and um, it, it's just a lot of people negotiating and fully believing in this project. And I think when you're doing your first film, um, you have to write it in such a way that you're also thinking about the budget and what resources you have, and then also um, being a great person and knowing how to to negotiate and have people who fully believe in that project. I think those are important aspects to making a film for that amount. They are. It's your crew, and they are all supporting you. So you have this... Uh core group working together for one goal that is show everybody that you can make a low budget feature and have it look good right tell a a compelling story yes that sounds wonderful and I know we're working on a uh, class sometime next year but really the most important thing to get a low budget film is your script and um, utilizing your, your script to even make that a reality. And I think I'm going to um, also speaking at a film festival on the 12th, I believe, and I'm going to go over different script mechanisms to make your film even possible for, for that amount. Yes, the Ethos Film Festival. We're both going to be, a, they're creating a panel of the two of us, which will be a lot of fun. Yes, I'm very excited about that. Well, thank you, Jonathan. We really appreciate you sharing this info. And what uh, what we want is when you have finished your post on your under $10,000 film and you uh, have some tips for filmmakers, we'd love you to come back and share some of those tips for getting that film finished and on screen and sold, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, of course. How to do a low budget film under ten thousand. Wow. Who wouldn't want to learn that? That sounds great. And there there's and we're even though that there's a lot of negative stuff happening within the film industry, there's a lot of positives too. If you're looking at the um the new iPhones, they can shoot and lock and they're 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 getting closer and closer to to looking like a professional camera image. And I think it's only a matter of time before AI is able to simulate certain lens choices. So we're we're reaching an age where people can do a lot of things with just um, something they have in their pocket. Well, speaking of AI programs, Nahid, part of our board of directors, and he helps us with the everything classes, he used uh, some AI programs and created uh, like a three-minute film in under an hour with uh, AI's help. And uh, he was able to access 
pre uh, other material, historical material that they had in databases to make it a really good film. I was shocked, and he did that after you did the uh, everything class with us that taught us all of the benefits of AI and also what uh, how important it is to keep educating yourself in this industry because it's for sure AI will take some jobs. So you were saying that the more you know, the more stable your position in the industry, yeah. right? Yes, and be prepared to be able to wear multiple hats. I think that's going to be more important than ever, especially on the indie side. So if you assume like, oh, I'm just a, I'm just the lighting, I'm I'm just the writer, I'm just the actor, you're going to have to think of yourself as much more than that. Much more than exactly. that. People are going to people are going to start paying people in the independent film industry for they're going to pay them to do more than one job and that's going to be expected soon just to keep the budgets manageable and cuz the returns are going down uh best buy just recently announced they're not going to sell 4K and Blu-rays and DVDs anymore um in best buy so that just shows you where the market's headed they don't believe that they're making great enough returns on those to even sell them in the store. Wow. That's a big change for all of us. Huge. Well, yeah, huge change. But the uh, audio on the new cameras, the my marketing man said, uh, if you want to do any voiceover or anything, do it on the new iPhone because it's better. It's one of the best mics on the market in the phone. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible how um, how great it is, and then you can run that quality through Runway, and Runway will do some more post processing on it. It's it's pretty incredible some of the tools that are available right now. Yes, uh, well, I like Chat GPT, <laughs> and I I told Chat to. Um, First, I said, give me, a, write it, like I asked him to write something. I had in, done an interview, and I put it in and said, now write a story from this and make it sound, write it like Carol Dean. And it did. I was so shocked. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to play with it. You know, it's frightening on one hand, yes, uh, but it can be fun on another side, and uh, and you should go on and just give it a try and learn what you can because these programs that are free now uh, are valuable to filmmakers. If, uh, once you learn how to use them, they're great for titles and subtitles, and uh, I don't think they're as good for writing <clears throat> um, a lot of things because it's so condensed. Uh, but you can learn how to um, tell the computer what you want because it's very specific. And there's, there, you're not talking to another person who will get it. It has to be in the words you give it. So, But I love it. Have you tried GPT? Yeah, yeah, of course. And then this is one of the reasons why I was able to predict the writer strike early is because you're going to soon, like it was able to write in your voice, you're going to be able to have customized software where you can have, um, let's say, for example, NCIS, and you put all 12, there's probably more than 12 seasons now, all 12 seasons in a database 
of your show and then have um, ChatGPT or whatever software you use create serialized episodes. That's why they fought so hard, um, the writers, to have um, a certain amount of writers in the room because that's the direction that it was headed where maybe they'd only have one or two on staff and have the software do the rest. And they fought really hard not to let that happen. And they won. They they yeah. got some really good controls over AI. The way I understand it is that you can, they can tell you, uh, they cannot tell you to use AI. They can give you a project, and if you want to use AI to help you, you can. But they can't tell you to do that. That's yeah. and some other things that were in uh, in the writers' benefit, and uh, I hope will keep writers writing because it's a brilliant way to get support to help in certain areas. But the writing is uh, it looks like a, a, an English professor has written something. There's no humor. There's no uh, feeling that it's just too dry. Have you found that? It's it's not very creative. It's great at, like you said, having outlines. And it lacks a lot of um, human emotion. But we've always had a punch-up writers, right? That's always uh-huh. been part of the industry. So it's not too difficult for... Um, so, for example, for losing serialized shows, it's not too difficult to have the... the um, the software come up with okay, you give me a story with a with a serial killer and there's a there is a a plot a plot twist in the middle and you reveal who the murderer is at the end. It's not too hard for um, AI software to do that. What is hard is to have inside jokes, humor, banter, things that make it really human. So that that's the challenge um, of it and why writers are still very important to the entire uh, the entire process. Now, I do have a concern that once money starts to get tighter and um, if inflation rates are raised again, that things, things are going to get tighter and are they going to focus more on non-union projects, which in non-union, there are no rules. So that may be a way out for some of these companies who said, okay, yeah, we're going to do all these things. We're going to keep all these promises that we said we're going to keep, and then they just kind of pull the rug and not have as many union projects. But that's the direction we were headed to anyway. So it's it's going to be an interesting situation. Right. Well, <clears throat> I know that I saw a report, uh, I think it was in Filmmaker Magazine, uh, where they did some analysis from filmmakers on uh, what their budget was and what they sold their film for. They had over 100 responses. And from that, they said that uh, films budgeted at 100000 or under are what is making money now. 150 mm-hmm. uh, much less return. Um, and uh, 250 and up, very little return. 
And then, of course, there is the golden elevator they speak about where you're funded from the beginning and you go straight to the top. But that we're not taking that in, into consideration. What we're talking about is the standard independent film. The going rate that is selling and making the most money now is 100000 budget. So yeah. when, if you can do a 10000 uh <laughs> you can get you know this is the way it used to be you would uh, give someone who had potential 20 grand and say make a film let me see what you can do uh this is 70s 80s etc and then they would come back with something that was really decent oh, okay so then the next script they would go up to 200,000 and if you made a decent film, then now you're okay. You're greenlit for $2 million. Uh, yeah. And I think we may be going back to that kind of concept. Yeah, I believe we're heading to a similar time. It's just going to be a different, a different way of doing things in the film industry. So before, yeah, 20000 you know, hey, see what you can do for 20000 The big thing that we're missing is theater revenue is going down unless it's a huge blockbuster, and we're losing um, DVD sales, merchandise, airplane sales, and that's a big gap of revenue that you're missing. You could have something like House Party 2 back in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s, and that could make money on blockbuster, on people who just thought it was a funny movie and they get it for 10 to $15 and you can make the same disc for like a dollar fifty, so the the returns are crazy high. So even a, a theater that didn't do well in the, the or a movie that didn't do well in the theater or had a second shelf life at Blockbuster or or um, Best Buy or wherever, we're losing all that revenue. That that's the challenge is that filmmakers aren't getting a lot of opportunities now because there just isn't as any opportunities to make the revenue in a traditional sense. So we're going to have to find new ways to, to make that money up. And some, um, some people are going to go to uh, YouTube, build a base, and then screen mm -hmm. their films for their base and get mm -hmm. paid from YouTube or advertisers, right? Do you see Correct. that coming? Correct. <clears throat> um, I, there, there, there's many ways I'm going to talk about this at Ethos is, is that you can do joint ventures, where you're working with other filmmakers who have a large audience, you can sell courses. So if you make a sci-fi film for under 10000 and you show me how to do that, I would buy your course. Um, if you're using, like, advanced AI and I'm learning different techniques, you can sell a course on how you did it. You know, sell the course for um, $200 and include the movie with it as well as behind the scenes and going over exactly how you do it. Now you're selling your film for $200 a pop. Most of those people are buying it, but um, that's another additional revenue source right there. So there's different ways on how we can make revenue, but it, it's still going to be a challenge without um, millions of people buying DVDs and, and home video. I know. Um, that DVD, I, <laughs> I have about 400 DVDs, Jonathan. I'd love that. I have I, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I have so many, too. <laughs> no, it's great. 
Well, this has been so enlightening, and I, I really thank you very much for all the things you've done for From the Heart. We appreciate you. I want everyone to know that we've got uh, on our website, you can go to blogs and look under the uh, Everything You Want to Know tab, and you'll find uh, Jonathan talking about AI in a class, and then he's talking in another class about uh, Largo, uh, and we're going to do another Largo event in uh, next month, uh, in November. Uh, mm-hmm. Largo and Jonathan and I w- uh, will report on what it does and how beneficial it can be to help you get the script to the highest level possible. But in the meantime, we all wish you lots of good luck breaking leg at the <laughs> NAB, Jonathan. Thank yes. you, thank you, and uh, Carol, I, I'm very appreciative of you, and I'm sure everybody listening is very appreciative of you as well. How kind. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a lot of fun. You, you're keeping me up to date with all the new stuff. And Claire, thank you. Thank you, Claire. Oh, yes, yes of as course. always. Sure, great pleasure to have you on the show, Jonathan. Yes, full of great information. Mm-hmm. So best of luck, and we'll uh, talk to you in the early in 2024 about your film and under $10,000. Great idea. Thank of you, course. Jonathan. All right. Thank you all. All right. Okay, and be, Bye. be well, everyone. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.